Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. We're getting close to Halloween, and so as is our custom this time of year, it's time to share with you some Halloween horror stories, things that went terribly wrong, and the lessons you can learn today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and thanks for listening to the Real Estate Guys podcast. Hey, do me a favor. Take a quick moment to give us some feedback on our iTunes page. We'd really love to know what you think. Thanks so much. This podcast is brought to you by GoToMeeting. Present, demonstrate, train, or collaborate with people anywhere in the world without ever leaving your office. Try GoToMeeting free. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash guys. That's GoToMeeting.com slash guys. Now, on with the show. Go online with the Real Estate Guys. The Real Estate Guys need your help. We're conducting an online survey to learn more about the information that you're looking for and how we can help grow the Real Estate Guys radio program. Just a few minutes of your time will help us help you. While you're online, subscribe to our e-newsletter. You'll automatically be entered to win a cruise with the Real Estate Guys. Help us to help you. Go online with the Real Estate Guys at realestateguysradio.com. realestateguysradio.com. Happy Halloween and welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We have a spooktacular show for you today. Every year around this time of the year, we do something called Halloween Horror Stories. And what it is is a look at some uh, real estate investments that went bad. And uh, But we're not just doing it to, uh, you know, uh, make people feel like, oh, wow, things are terrible. No, quite the contrary. Instead, it is all about getting the lesson so that we can be better investors. First, let's meet the uh, guys in the co-host seat, our financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey. How are you? Uh, I'm going to feel chubby and uh, hypoglycemic here shortly. Ah, is it trick or is it treat? That's the <laughs> question. And also uh, joining us, the man we call the godfather of real estate, but investing now in six decades, it's uh, Bob Helms. Hey, Robert, Russ, fun to be here with you guys. Well, good to have you. We missed you last week. In your place, we had Robert Kiyosaki, so you should feel good about that. Wow. Yeah, always I can't to wait have, to hear uh, that show. Yeah, great uh, great show. If you missed the uh, the interview with uh, Mr. Kiyosaki, it's available on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Uh, let's talk about uh, Halloween horror stories. You know, as you go through uh, your career as a real estate investor, not everything is going to go well, right? We start out, we look at a performer, we look at a market, we look at a property, and we act as though it's all going to go according to plan. We have a plan B, we have a plan C, we have a multiple exit strategies because we know that there's challenges and we also mitigate against some of those with things like insurance and property management and a good team. But at the end of the day, not everybody bats a thousand. I don't know why it is, but for some reason, real estate investors think that every deal is going to go correctly. And, and it's just not. It's not like that. It's not real estate's like. Uh, the great things about real estate are counterbalanced sometimes by the fact that real estate has hair on it. Because we're talking about investing in a physical property where typically you have tenants of some kind, whether it's a business or a a person that's living there or who, who knows what your tenant might be. In some cases, some of my tenants are boxes. My favorite tenants, by the way, but they're still not immune from problems, right? So we have stuff that happens. And so uh, as you may know, we don't talk about it much on the radio, but we have uh, our monthly uh, real estate mentoring club been going on for many, many years. And every October, we do our case studies all about uh, Halloween horror stories. Yeah, Halloween horror stories. That's because, um, you know, the best lessons are really in things that go wrong. And, and you know, that's where really where you get a chance to learn. You know, I was thinking, uh, I think it was last year that the New England Patriots went uh, 17-0 and or something, and they were going for 19-0 and anyway. They were one game the Super Bowl away from having a completely undefeated season, and it was huge because the only other team that had ever done that was the 1972 Miami Dolphins. So here we are, you know, 30-some-odd years later, 
and still nobody has ever been able to make it through an entire football season undefeated. But, you know, at the beginning of camp, all those players get together, all those coaches get together. Everybody talks about how their game plan is going to be the best, how their defense, their offense, their special teams, how their players, their coaching, their execution, they're going to win. And the reality is, is something bad happens to every team and I think history shows us that nobody always wins. And really, um, the same is true in your real estate investing. You know, we talk all the time how, use, again, using the sports analogy, that if you're in baseball now and you bat, you get on base four out of every 10 times, you're in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge. So right. the best lessons really are in reverse engineering the things that went wrong and uh, getting those lessons. Absolutely. And it's important to note that these don't have to happen to you personally. By the way, if you're at this game long enough, some of them are going to happen to you personally. But it's a relative thing. Stubbing your toe will mean, hey, that hurts, and it wasn't as good as it could have been. But that may not be a genuine horror story. So the beauty of these horror stories, I think, is that we get to do them vicariously. We get to get the lesson where somebody else's toe got stubbed, sometimes really badly, and the lesson and the value is there if you'll pay attention. Now, here's our here's our rule for uh, Halloween horror stories. We are going to tell you what the problem is, what went wrong, but we don't stop there. We have to also talk about the solution, either the actual solution the investor went through or other potential solutions that we brainstorm around. And then finally, probably the most important is the lesson. What lesson can you get and apply to your uh, personal portfolio? Now, in every case, these are true stories. And in some cases, in fact, most cases, we have changed the names, the locations, or whatever the case may be to protect uh, the folks involved. Uh, at our mentoring club, everybody is under non-disclosure agreement. And so we actually had several investors that got up on stage and shared their pain. And it was awesome. It was so great to not only watch them have composure and be able to go through it, but really come up with the lessons and have the right attitude. They, they refer to it as group therapy. Yeah, exactly. Actually, a couple of them get up there and go, you know, if you got to go through this, you might as well have some fun out of it. And the exercise of preparing the presentation really solidifies the lesson in their own mind as they go through the process and go, okay, what happened? Why did it happen? It, knowing what I know now, what would I have done differently? What can be my takeaways? And then the, the group therapy part is sharing all of that with other people that actually care. Now, let's face it. This has been a challenging year for real estate kind of across the board. We expect next year's crop of Halloween horror stories to be even better. But uh, we got a lot of them submitted that were similar. And so we've kind of picked ones that have kind of interesting nuances where there's lessons. But it's not just real estate, right? I mean, obviously, in the last couple of months, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Lehman Brothers, WAMU, Wachovia, AIG, Merrill Lynch, the list goes on and on and on about changes, huge global changes in the finance markets and in our economy that have had everybody noticing. Today, we did a show a few weeks ago on, on loan workouts and modifications, and uh, that's a big deal today. And so there's lots going on, and, and yet I think uh, there's some great lessons in this. So are we ready to go? Yep, ready to go. All right, our first Halloween horror story, a story this year is called, Should I Stay or Should I Go? <laughs> When is a foreclosure not a foreclosure? Yeah, this is a really interesting uh, case study. And this was an investor who came together with with a partner. And so just to set up what the situation was, in August of 2006, two uh, parties got together. Two investors, really. And in one case, you had somebody living in the property. In the other case, an investor who brought their credit. And so typically, uh, you would set up what we might call an equity share agreement where each party's 
going to do certain things. And, and these are the classic equity shares, Bob, like you and I used to do back in the 80s, where you'd have a, a co-occupant, we'd call them, would be the person who was in the property, living there, and typically making the mortgage payment every month. And then you'd have an investor who usually put up the down payment. Now, in this particular case, I don't think there was a down payment. I think it was a 100% uh, um, leveraged deal well, back not in only August that, of 2006. But, but August 2006, top of the market. Right. The tip, peak. Tip top uh-huh. of the market. So uh, there's a problem. So what we have, and the reason that you need to understand the, the the facts here is that you've got a person living in the house who is technically an owner in terms of the partnership. But what happened because of the circumstances surrounding these folks is the investor didn't bring cash to the table. What they brought is their credit. And so only one of them shows up on the loan. Now, you know, you need to look at that from a legal perspective. And, and if you talk to your real estate attorney about how to set these things up, uh, which they did, you have an, an arrange, arrangement, an agreement, but it has to be between the parties because you have title, what we call legal title, and then you'd have what would be called equitable title, who's really, you know, to benefit from from the future growth. Anyway, they went they went along for over a year with no problem. Everything was great. And then there started to be an issue. The issue was that the occupant had difficulty with their income and was unable to make the payment. And so the story is this property went into default and it took about uh, six months uh, of uh, struggling with the mortgage payments to finally uh, have the lender issue a notice of default. That was in April of this year, 2008. So the occupant got a notice that the sale date was set for early August and retained a loan modification attorney. Now, they retained the attorney just a few days before the sale. So one of the lessons, I think, right off the bat is you might want to start a little earlier than that. Uh, But anyway, they were issued this foreclosure date. Now, as we talked about on the show a few weeks ago, what a loan modification specialist or attorney does is works with the lender to come up with a solution that's going to benefit, hopefully, everybody. In this case, what the loan modification said is, no problem. This is a lender we deal with. We will get the foreclosure put off, so there won't be a foreclosure, and we'll go through the process of a modification, a workout, trying to come to some agreement that's going to work for you, uh, Mr. Occupant and your partner, and also work for uh, the, the lender involved. So the interesting thing was that on the sale date, the supposed sale date, the occupant uh, decided to call the loan modification attorney and say, hey, just want to check, right? Is everything good? Because you were going to put the sale off and I just want to make sure that happened. And no call, nothing. Nobody showed up on the doorstep. There was no, right? Nothing. Just the, the day came and went. And then about two weeks later, the occupant got a notice from a real estate agent that they had to leave. Taped to the front door. Yep. House is in foreclosure. Has been foreclosed upon. You're out of here. I'm the real estate agent. Sorry. No offense, but you got to go. So what was interesting is that the occupant didn't just vacate the premises because, again, they're under the the premise that this loan modification attorney has put off the foreclosure. So why would a real estate agent show up all of a sudden? Then uh, in early September, uh, the... uh, the investors received an offer to compromise. This was for the, to the occupant. Now, understand, we know the occupant is an equitable partner in this situation, but the, the person, the, the agent representing the lender right. doesn't know that. They think it's a tenant. And so here's was their offer in, in early September is, hey, Mr. Tenant, tell you what we're going to do. If you'll move out by the end of the month, by the end of September, we'll pay you $2,000 moving expenses. You don't have to pay any more rent, which sounds maybe like a really good deal. But, of course, backstage, we know that this is an equitable partner, and they don't necessarily want to move if they don't have to. So uh, September uh, the 10th, they respond with the counteroffer, which is, uh, okay, we'll take uh, we'll take the two grand. But uh, what we'd like to do is stay in the property until uh, there's a sale, 
And we're happy to show it and make, uh, you know, let's put a lockbox on and we'll make the house look great. Well, that's because the cost of staying in the house was so much higher. I mean, the value of staying in the house, this thing was like a six or $7,000 a month property. Yep. So uh, uh, the next day, they basically receive uh, a new notice of the sale. There's now a new sale date. And, and so the guy's scratching his head going, wait a minute, I've been dealing with an agent and an offer and all that is basically predicated on the fact that there's been a sale, but now there's a there's a new sale date. So again, call goes to the loan modification attorney. The loan modification attorney says, I told you, yeah, we, we got the for sale, that we got the foreclosure put off. And so now they're saying, and don't worry, we'll get that one put off too. We're in active negotiations with the lender. Well, um, the next day the agent comes back and says, no, we're not going to take your offer to stay in the property until it sells. Uh, we'll get back to you. So a week later, they get a 60-day notice to quit from the lender's attorney. Which is an eviction notice. An eviction notice. In California, the 60 days, you got to get out. So another call goes into the loan modification attorney, and they say, well, no. The, the lender has told us that they put off the foreclosure. We have it in writing. Late September the investors decide to run a title search. When they do, lo and behold, the lender did acquire the property in late August. There was a sale. There was a foreclosure sale, even though they had promised there wasn't going to be. And in a very rare turn of events, the loan modification attorney uh, confirmed that the house was mistakenly foreclosed upon. (laughs) What happens next? You'll find out when we return with more Halloween Horror Stories. This is the Real Estate Guys radio program. This podcast is brought to you by GoToMeeting, the easy, secure, cost-effective online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can hold meetings over the Internet, give sales presentations, product demos, and training sessions right from your PC with multiple remote participants in multiple locations. Try GoToMeeting free. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash realestateguys. That's GoToMeeting.com slash realestateguys. Equity happens. Is it happening to you? Learn more at realestateguysradio.com. Crikey! Local real estate market a little slow? If there's no appreciation, there's no equity. No worries. There are lots of markets and many are booming. G'day, mate. This is Luke Chadwick, the deal hunter with Global Property Network. I spend most of my time traveling all over the U.S. and the world hunting down hot markets, great properties, and expert agents. Give us a ring at one 411 4 gpn and we'll connect you to great agents in great markets with great deals. That's one 411 4476 Well, mate, got to go. To learn more, go to globalpropertynetwork.com or call us at 1-877-411-4GPN. Don't be shy. Do it now. Hi, this is Kendra Todd, winner of The Apprentice, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms, every weekend on the radio and all the time at realestateguysradio.com. It is our annual Halloween Horror Stories edition, talking about things that went dreadfully, terribly wrong in real estate and the lessons we can learn from them. So uh, this is our first case study, Should I Stay or Should I Go? We have a, a, a property mistakenly foreclosed upon. The loan modification attorney got an agreement from the lender that they would forestall the uh, foreclosure and then, lo and behold, the property transferred, somehow transferred. Now, what the loan modification 
attorney was able to do based on the fact that, in, in their words, one office didn't know what the other was doing, is get the foreclosure reversed. The property was transferred back into the name of the investor. Now, Bob, you've been doing real estate for more than 50 years. Have you ever seen a foreclosure reversed? This is the first time I've heard of anybody actually making that happen. It's it's crazy. I, I don't know. I don't know the facts or how you'd make that happen. But anyway, um, the loan modification attorney, sure enough, got that to happen, and then uh, was able to uh, work out a uh, a modification on the loan. So I guess all was well that ends well. And today, the occupant is still in the property. So uh, here's the problem. The problem was. The equity share agreement provided for the occupant to make the tenants, but they fell behind, and the investor is the only one on the loan. And uh, one little side part of the problem is based on the values uh, in the area, the property is now worth less than the first loan against it, which just gives you a little different negotiating ability when you're negotiating with a lender. Uh, the solution was tired the loan modification attorney. That brought up a new problem, which uh, was that uh, the loan modification attorney got the foreclosure halted, but uh, then the lender gets the title and uh, the occupant gets the notice to vacate. So the foreclosure shouldn't have happened, but it did. The solution, the loan modification attorney gets the transfer rescinded. And uh, the le- here's the lessons in this one. Uh, first of all, you might want to consider using a loan modification attorney if you're uh, in this situation, if you're trying to deal with a lender. Obviously, I would think if this person had tried to do this on their own, when they got the notice, they probably would have moved out. When they got the offer, they probably right. They didn't have an attorney working on the job, and they they certainly wouldn't have got the foreclosure reversed. In in my mind, um, the second part of the lesson: don't believe every notice you receive. Verify accuracy. Several notices in this case were just not true necessarily, and so you have to go above and beyond and make sure that you have the facts of the case. And 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 finally, don't rush to judgment. There was a point in this case study where our uh, investors were not very happy with a loan modification attorney. They were, you know, not, and, and maybe rightfully so, right? They weren't getting phone calls back and so forth. But today, loan modification attorneys are super busy. Right. Not trying to make excuses for them, but just, you know, don't rush to judgment. It turned out to be okay, and, and there you go. So uh, if you were not uh, uh, listening a few weeks ago when we did our whole uh, show on, on modifications, uh, we prepared a free report. Actually, Bob did most of the heavy lifting on the free report, and uh, you can get a copy of it. It's called What You Must Know Before Attempting a Loan Workout, and uh, that's available if you send us an email to workout at realestateguysradio.com. That's workout at realestateguysradio.com. All right, let's uh, go to our uh, next case study. We had a few case studies that had to do with uh, property management. One of the keys to uh, a successful uh, career in real estate investing is uh, property management, and we have a couple of, uh, of fun ones. And so this case, our, our first case study is the case of the employer guarantor. <laughs> so here's the situation. Uh, a tenant moves into an apartment, and it's a tenant that, that you might not normally take. Their credit profile and their occupational profile might not have you take this. But the landlord, in this case, uh, got a call from uh, an acquaintance, a friend, acquaintance, person, another business owner uh, who was in the area. And uh, the business owner said, listen, I have this employee, and uh, I really need a place for him to stay. So what I'd like to do is have you... Uh, rent to him, and I'll guarantee it. Now, 
this they knew each other the the employer and the landlord knew each other and the landlord knew that there was a lot this person owned several retail stores owned a lot of top line real estate in the area was well known well respected and uh, said oh okay uh, that sounds good if you'll guarantee it now they did go through a, a full paperwork process didn't just do it on a handshake got a guarantor from the employer to make the loan payment I mean to make the rent payment every month right. and and that was fine right up until the tenant got fired. So now you have a tenant living in your unit and a guarantee from the employer who is no longer the employer. What happens? Well, they're still the they're still the guarantor. And so for a couple of months, they continued to make the payment. And then, as the case often does, it gets worse. Uh, the guarantor becomes insolvent. The guarantor has a business, a valid business, but has no cash. They're having a difficult time in their business and goes to the landlord and says, listen, I just don't have the money to pay. I I know I have a lot of real estate and I guess maybe you could go after me, but I don't have the money to pay. And so they work out an agreement, which we'll get to under the solution. And this tenant apparently had a former drug problem. And during this time, that drug problem relapsed. And so now... You're stuck with a a tenant who's got a drug problem, no ability to pay, and a guarantor who is not uh, part of of the employee's uh, world anymore. So what's the solution? Well, the first part of the solution is our uh, our landlord was empathetic, I might uh, might say, with with his acquaintance, the the, the guarantor, and said, well, you may not be able to pay me in cash, but you have this, this retail store. Maybe we could barter in merchandise. And so they were able to get uh, a barter where basically the landlord and his wife every month would go in and pick out some stuff from the store, right? The problem is that only goes so far. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, uh, this particular – this guy was in uh, furnishings. Uh, and so how much furniture can you, you have can you squeeze into one property <laughs> exactly so uh, so anyway um, they they only go back I can only go for so so long and finally the landlord said you know I just can't take anymore we have to do something and so what they did is uh, he was able to convince the tenant to leave in exchange for the relief of back rent he went to the tenant and said listen your land your, your former employer isn't paying anymore you now owe me like three months worth of rent and you have to get out and here's what I'm willing you to do if you'll if you'll move today, I will I will forgive all of the back rent you. I won't come after you for the rent. Not like you'd be able to get it, but I won't come after you for the rent. Now, amazingly enough, that worked. And in his story where he explained this on stage, he mostly said it worked because when he got there, he thought the tenant was in a in a state of mind that uh, he seen it seemed that that was a good idea to him at the time. He had chemically enhanced thinking. Yes, and so he got up, <laughs> got his stuff, took his friends, and the last thing our landlord did, which is very smart, he said, "Oh, I need to have the keys." And he handed them the keys, and as soon as he did, he got constructive, constructive possession, possession in the eyes of uh, California tenant landlord law, and uh, was able to call his uh, crew, and they came over right away, cleaned up the unit. Boxed up the stuff and uh, and changed the locks. So the lesson: qualify your guarantor as much as you would a tenant. Even though the landlord did a good job of getting it in writing, what they didn't do is go through a typical process of running credit and the things you would do to get a tenant. Just because someone owns a lot of top line real estate doesn't mean they have the ability to to perform on on uh, the the rent. Uh, second lesson: take action while the amounts are small. Don't let a problem like this get away from you. It's easy to let it go, but once the amounts get too big, it becomes very difficult to deal with. And then uh, finally, remember that vacancy is better than having the wrong tenant. All right, so there's our case study number two. Case study number three also kind of has to do with property management, and it is called The Death of a Tenant. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, we've had this happen. Uh, Bob, you and I had a uh, property uh, in Stockton, California, where this uh, situation happened and uh, had another one that was close. Uh, and this this happens from time to time. So the problem is the tenant moves in to a property. Uh, it's a condominium. And the tenant, in addition to having a rental agreement, has a lease option. The ability to buy. Unfortunately, the tenant's involved in a car accident and doesn't survive, and so the tenant dies. Now you have to stop there and go. Wow, now what? Right? What happens when you're a landlord and you have property and you don't have the keys and you don't have legal possession? There's a process that you get legal possession uh, through when you have a death, but that hasn't happened. Well. In the midst of thinking about all that, the way that the uh, landlord learns about the uh, death is from the tenant's brother. The brother says, hey, um, this is my name and my brother, and it's been an accident, and, and I've, I've, uh, I've moved into the property because uh, I, you know, I had his keys and I wanted to see you know, what he had and what we need to do as a family, et cetera, and you know, it's, a, it's a nice apartment and I'd like to stay. And furthermore, Mr. Landlord, um, would it be okay if I prepaid the next six months' worth of rent? In cash. In cash. (laughs) So what does the landlord do? Well, any landlord tempted with six months' worth of cash in advance says, Yes. Of course. (laughs) Yes, of course. And say, well, you know, you seemed like a reasonable guy and sorry to hear about your brother and, you know, great. You want to pay me in advance? And came up with a new rental agreement, right? Signed the rental agreement. Perfect. Now, as the story continues, we find out that the brother who moved in never paid another dime. They paid the six months, and we find out later that the six months' worth of rent they were able to pay was all that this brother ever got from uh, his brother's demise. So there is no more money coming, and he doesn't have a job. So um, he gets further and further behind, and finally it gets to the point where the uh, landlord has to go to the tenant and uh, and convince them to move in exchange for the rent. Now we told the story of of often going when you have back rent situations and and uh, you know going with cash in your pocket, the old cash for keys game. What will it take to get you to move out in the next twenty four hours? Here's the cash. Don't give it to them then. Give it to them when you get the keys back. But it didn't it didn't uh, uh, result in that. The brother said, "Okay, I I understand. I'm I'm going to move." But there's some great lessons here. And the first lesson is requalify your tenant when a lease is assigned or sublet. If you allow for subletting in your lease, which you don't have to, but if you do, or if a situation happens where the parties change, we used to have this happen when we had college rentals, rentals where you had two or three roommates and they were all going to college and lo and behold, all of a sudden you're getting your checks and and one of the names changes. It's like, well, what happened? Oh, well, Sally moved out and Mary moved in, so she's in the room and she's paying the rent now. Well, when that happens, you make sure you get the new person on the rental agreement and you requalify them. That's huge. The second thing, and this is a great lesson, he said, you know, if I was thinking, which I wasn't obviously, but if I would have been thinking back then when he offered to pay me six months worth of rent, what I should have done is taken four months worth of rent and a two-month security deposit. Because this problem then would have happened earlier, and he would have still had some money. As it as it ended up, he lost about eight hundred dollars on this deal, which is is pretty good. And uh, and of course, other lesson: just start the eviction process sooner. Lots of uh, lessons when it comes to property management. Well, I'm thinking back about the uh, the two situations. One, the one you mentioned, we were in. We actually were in escrow at this time, buying this property, and one of the tenants died. Well. Suddenly, the the guy who's selling us the property, the landlord, 
is is in a problem. He's confronted. He doesn't quite know what to do. By the way, he was refurbishing the property, and he was able to get the family in, work this out with him, get possession, and refurbish that unit. We actually ended up with a better building in the long term. Yeah, that was know. a that was a rare landlord. That was a great a great situation because what do the contracts say? Not it was silent to this point, right? When you're in escrow, what does it say about what happens if a tenant dies in the meantime? It doesn't. So it was a it was a situation where the landlord did the right thing. Uh, a great a uh, great transaction and a win for everybody. Uh, today we're doing Halloween horror stories. <laughs> Some lessons we can learn from problems that uh, folks like you uh, may have in their landlording business. So uh, stay with us. When we come back, we're also going to play a real estate trivia a chance uh, to win a prize. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Program. I'm your host Robert Helms. Hello, Robert Kiyosaki. Listen to the Real Estate Guys. They're wild and crazy, but they really know what they're talking about. Chadwick. Wood Chadwick. Real estate, like diamonds, are forever. So when it comes to real estate, never say never again. I travel the world for Global Property Network, spying out hot markets, experienced agents, and great deals. So if the world is not enough and you're looking for investment or vacation real estate anywhere in America or around the globe, call Global Property Network. I've got a gold finger for connecting you to great properties. You only live twice, so to grow your income for the second part of your life, you can live and let die, or you can go for it, like the living daylights. GPN is here to help. From Russia with love, this is Luke Chadwick for Global Property Network. Give Luke and his team at Global Property Network a license to kill and find you income-producing property. Tomorrow never dies, so you need Luke to find properties and deals for your eyes only. Call Luke and GPN today, 877-411-4GPN. That's 877-411-4GPN. Or on the sponsors page at realestateguysradio.com. Go online. With the real estate guys. We need to know what you think about the real estate guys. So we're asking our listeners to complete an anonymous online survey. You'll help give us valuable information to grow the real estate guys show and provide you with the info that you're looking for. While you're online, subscribe to our e-newsletter. You'll automatically be entered to win a cruise with the real estate guys. We'd love your feedback. Go online now at realestateguysradio.com. Realestateguysradio.com. Are you excited about real estate investing but not sure where to get started? Learn the secrets of building wealth through real estate in the comfort of your own home. In the Real Equity Home Study Course, professional investor Robert Helms and his team of experts show you why real estate outperforms other investments. Stop dreaming about investing in real estate and start doing something about it. Order the Real Equity Home Study Course today at realestateguysradio.com and click on resources. realestateguysradio.com Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Heard every weekend on your favorite radio station and all the time at realestateguysradio.com. If you're listening via our podcast, well, thanks for uh, tuning in and subscribing to our program. And a happy Halloween. Uh, Halloween's coming up, and it's our uh, scary time of the year to look at Halloween horror stories. Before we get back with the next horror story, it is time to play Real Estate Trivia. Your chance to win a prize just by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question, which uh, Russ Gray has uh, submitted today, and it's about Halloween, and it's about real estate. So I said, Russ, we need a trivia question about real estate and Halloween, and sure enough, he came up with a good one. 
so uh, stay tuned for that. When you hear the uh, question and know the answer, you're going to send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. That's trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and address, and if you are the uh, first person with the right answer, you're going to win an autographed copy of Equity Happens. Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate, our book on real estate investing. Find out more at equityhappens.com. And uh, what we do also is we take all the correct answers, put them into a drawing, and then give away another book a week later because that way you don't have to necessarily be listening live on the radio to win a prize. That's how Real Estate Trivia works. Before we do this week's uh, Halloween trivia question, let's look at uh, last week's uh, question. Uh, Last week we had uh, our good friend, uh, author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, on the program, and our trivia question was name the... The world's largest border between nations, the world's largest uh, frontier. Now, after the show, uh, Russ guessed, and he guessed correctly. I did. I said uh, the the border between Canada and the United States. That is it, and it is uh, almost four thousand miles, thirty nine hundred and eighty seven miles. The world's largest frontier. Do I get the book between? Uh, no, <laughs> you're ineligible. To and the fact that you wrote the book uh, makes you further ineligible. So. <laughs> No, uh, somebody else will though, uh, th- because uh, we had uh, we had two winners for that, and uh, we had a special uh, winner who also got an autographed copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad. So that's pretty cool. Uh, here's our trivia question for Halloween horror stories: In what state was the Legend of Sleepy Hollow set? So uh, you remember the classic Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the headless horseman, and all that, written by Washington Irving. Washington set Irving in the colonial United States. Yes. Uh, what state did that take place in? It was one of the fifty states. That's your clue. Uh, if you know, send that to us in an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. And uh, if you have the correct answer, you very well may win a copy of Equity Happens: Building Lifelong Wealth with real estate. There we go. Real estate trivia. It is our Halloween horror story edition of the real estate guys. We're talking about uh, some of the things that went wrong for investors and the lessons that can be learned. This next case study is called the case of the disappearing rent. This is a scary one. We have a landlord who uh, bought a property, uh, a non-owner occupied property. It was a rental property, a nice condominium conversion. uh, And there was already a tenant. So it was a package deal, one of these turnkey deals. They got the property, they got the tenant, they got the property manager, uh, a great long-term lease and a great tenant. Well, every month the uh, investor was getting their property management statement, and then this particular investor was in the mortgage business. So a funny thing happened near the end of 2007. The case of the disappearing income. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, they had a a challenge, and the rent was not quite enough to cover the payment. That's because this property was in an area the investor uh, thought had great long-term potential and wanted to see uh, some equity happen, and it got a little too negatively geared, as they might say. And so uh, what happened is the the property uh, was in default. And uh, what the interesting part of the story is that when the property goes into default and you have a tenant in there, very often the um, tenant finds out about it. You can be up front as a landlord and say, hey, just so you know, got a little problem, but I'm working on it. Uh, or you can uh, play the ostrich and, and uh, put your head in the sand and, and figure they're going to get a notice someday to the door. But uh, what what happened was that the in this case, near, near the end of uh, 07, lenders were nowhere near as as flexible as they might be today. And so the investors working on trying to do what they could with the lender and so forth. Uh, and the property manager sends an email. Now, here's what the email says. This is in March of 2008. The email says, this is from the property manager to the owner. We have received notice that you are in breach of your lease for default on the mortgage. We have placed a hold on the distribution of rental proceeds. 
so we're not going to send you the rent. If you are able to get the default cured, please send a copy of the notice to show that the default has been cleared so we can release these funds to you. Well, first of all, if you're having trouble paying the mortgage and you're now not getting the rent... That helps. <laughs> how are you supposed to ever clear the default? But there's a couple of issues here. First of all, the language said, we've received notice that you are in breach of your lease. Now, does the owner have a lease with the property manager? No. No. Not exactly. No. <laughs> Incorrect. Thank you, Jathan. No, there is no lease. The only lease that exists is from the tenant. Now, what probably happened from a practical point of view is the tenant got a notice on their door and went to the manager, who was the on-site person in an office in this complex, and said, oh, I got this notice, and what do I do? And uh, the property manager said, oh, problem. We better hold the rent because there's a problem. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, when uh, when the investor inquires and says, "Hey, where's the rent?" They say, "Well, as we told you, you know, the, the, we we're, we're holding the rent." And the investor says, "What most investors would? Well, why? How can I make the payment? How you can't do that?" And the property manager says, "Oh, yeah, it's right there in the property management agreement. You're right in your property management agreement. You should have read it when you sign. It says that if you're in default, we can keep your rent." Well, then this investor did something that apparently the property manager was not expecting. He actually read the property management agreement. <laughs> yes, and in the property management agreement, there was nothing no about withholding that. Furthermore, what happens is the investor then calls the Department of Real Estate in this state and says, these are the facts, here's what's happened, and the Department of Real Estate says, uh, nope, that's against our state law. A landlord, a property manager has no right to withhold that uh, uh, from you. So, right, But would you like to file a complaint? Would you like to file a complaint? Now stop right there. You might feel like you'd want to file a complaint against this property manager who is supposedly licensed by the Department of Real Estate, but what does the investor say? The investor says no because the filing the complaint wouldn't do anything to retrieve the money. All that would do would get the broker in trouble. And at this point, that was a trump card that the investor didn't want to play. He wanted to use that as leverage. If you put the card down too early, you don't you lose the leverage. What he's interested in getting back is his money. Absolutely. So interesting enough, this goes on and uh, for uh, about six months or so, the tenant continues to make their payment every month, and it's the money's withheld, less expenses and so forth, uh, from uh, the owner, which we now know they can't legally do. Uh, in June, the lender sends an unsolicited offer to the investor to accept much less than the purchase price. So the purchase price is about 250000 They send a letter that they'll take about $150,000 just to walk away. So the investor says, that's great. I have about 150,000 reasons why I can't make that happen right now, but that sounds uh, sounds pretty good. Anyway, uh, the owner uh, calls and says, now, is this a, a short sale? Are you saying I can bring somebody in? And the lender basically says, hey, doesn't matter to me if you can refinance it, if you can bring in cash, if you have a piggy bank, if you bring in a partner, if you sell it short, we'll take 150 k 148000 actually. Now, this is unusual because lenders normally aren't going to allow an owner in default to retain a property, but these are different times we live in. That's Today, true. loans are very different and companies do not want, lenders do not want the property, so they're very agreeable and very flexible. So the owner calls the tenant and starts a dialogue, which is very smart. Even though it's a property management agreement, which we're questioning now, the uh, the owner gets in touch with the tenant. The tenant's great. Great tenant. tenant says, oh, by the way, you know the unit next door, the same unit, just sold for $116,000. So meanwhile, the owner's looking for a partner to maybe come in and say, hey, I got this great deal, but they can't find someone to come in for $148,000 because the property probably won't appraise. And why would an investor 
bring in $148,000 for a property that's arguably worth only 116. Right. So all this is made uh, available. This information is finally made available to the lender. And uh, meanwhile, in September, the um, air conditioning quits in the unit. And this is in a place that has hot weather. And, and so the property manager gets this, calls the investor and says, um, uh, the, prop, the air conditioning has gone out and we need your authorization to uh, replace it. To which the owner goes, well, I guess I should give you authorization because it's warm there and the tenant needs air conditioning. But, you know, are you asking for a check? And the property manager says, well, no, we have all this money. We can just take it right out of your money. And the 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 owner says, okay, do that. And by the way, you know, I've talked to the Department of Real Estate. They say you can't keep it. They you know, and so anyway, they uh, they get the uh, they get another email, and uh, after that, and the the email, the second email coming in October this month uh, says from the property manager, we will be processing a closeout order to terminate our management obligations for you and your property. A full accounting will be sent along with the rental proceeds, which uh, have received the past, which we have received the past several months. You should expect to receive both no later than the fifteenth of this month. And so the tenant then uh, is sending the rent directly to the owner. So what are the lessons here? First of all, uh, the the problem we, we talked about, the solution, couple. First of all, our uh, owner built a direct relationship with the tenant, and that was smart because that turned out to be uh, a good thing, and that helped in a lot of ways. Uh, the next part of the solution was to contact the lender and work on modifying the loan, and that's where they are right now, working on modifying uh, the loan. And the solution for this investor was to uh, hold on uh, in the long run. Now, what's the lesson? First of all, a great lesson is to take care of the tenant, and the tenant will take care of you. While this isn't always true, I like to think it should be. And so you'll get a lot farther, as Bob Helm says, with the honey than you do with vinegar. So your tenants, we learned from an earlier case study, are not necessarily your friends. But if you treat them with respect and you let them know what's going on, and this owner was very upfront, uh, that's huge. Just a couple of comments, two, two different topics here where there's some other lessons around this. One of them has to do with calling the Department of Real Estate and saying, hey, I want to file a complaint. You don't want to do that lightly. It may be your last resort, but there are a lot of other implications. So we can talk about that at a later time, but that's the other advice. Here's the second topic, the property management agreement. Most property managers write their own agreement. It isn't standard in any way, and it's really important that you read it and see what it says. You may not be able to tell whether it's legal, and so maybe it's a good idea to pass it by your attorney. But you see these things all the time. In this case, here was a guy who should have known that he couldn't collect the money, but my agreement says I can. Actually, it didn't, but that's what he thought. By the way, this is one of the five largest (laughs) property management companies in this large metropolitan city. So this isn't just some dude. This is a a very serious, very known property management company. So it's not just a little guy that's going to take this kind of advantage. Of course, the lessons, Bob, you hit on them, or read the contracts, yes. make sure you know what it is that you've signed, and then know the law, and if you don't, get someone who does. In this case, the, they went to the Department of uh, Real Estate to, to find out. I could have had an attorney uh, as well do that. And uh, I think the final lesson here was don't play the trump card unless you have to. And to your point, a lot of reasons why you might not want to have uh, the department. I mean, if, if they're busy working on a DRE complaint, they're not spending their time figuring out how to get you your money back. And they may be less motivated, not more motivated. And it can take, it can drag out for years. So, you know, use it as leverage and doesn't mean that you want someone, you know, conducting unfair practices, but uh, you have to think strongly before you decide to call in uh, the big dogs. All right, we're in the middle of our Halloween horror stories. We have more and we return from the Real Estate Guys. I'm your host, Robert Helms. 
live nationwide. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Crikey! Local real estate market a little slow? If there's no appreciation, there's no equity. No worries. There are lots of markets and many are booming. G'day, mate. This is Luke Chadwick, the deal hunter with Global Property Network. I spend most of my time traveling all over the U.S. and the world hunting down hot markets, great properties, and expert agents. Give us a ring at one 411 4 gpn and we'll connect you to great agents in great markets with great deals. That's one 411 4476 well, mate, got to go. To learn more, go to globalpropertynetwork.com or call us at one 411 gpn Don't be shy. Do it now. Hi, this is Garrett Sutton, Rich Dad's advisor. Remember, equity happens, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in to The Real Estate Guys this week and every week. If you aren't signed up for the podcast, you can do that at iTunes or at realestateguysradio.com, or you can listen right here on your favorite radio station. We're talking about our Halloween horror stories, and uh, our final horror story for uh, this year is called Come Hell or High Water. Yeah, this is a scary one. So this is a, uh, a gentleman who bought a commercial property in a little city very uh, near Louisiana. And uh, it's a 10,000-square-foot uh, metal construction building. And uh, what really attracted him to this building is it was a 10% cap rate. It was a leased investment. Uh, uh, it was a net-net investment, in fact, and that's part of the story. And so we need to kind of cover what that means. You can uh, rent as a tenant. You can rent something full service, which means that you pay your rent, and then the landlord covers everything else. They cover the, the lighting and the heating and the insurance and any uh, property taxes and changes to the building and all that kind of stuff. Or there are tenants that uh, rent buildings on the opposite extreme, what we call triple-net where the amount that they pay is just for the right to occupy the space, but then they're responsible for everything that happens in the building. This is typical with big credit tenants and department stores and big retail tenants and even large office tenants because, let's face it, if you uh, rent to a Walgreens and their water heater goes out, they're not calling you the landlord, right? They, they handle it. And so it's net of everything. So he was looking at a couple of different investments in 2005. There was a triple net investment, meaning hands off for the landlord, that was about a 6%, 6 cap. Then there was this investment, which wasn't triple net. It was double net. It was net net, which was close. And we're going to learn what that extra net means in this Halloween horror story. And it was a 10 cap, which he was uh, uh, very much attracted to. So he had uh, done, uh, been, been investing in duplexes and fourplexes and decided it was time to move up to a triple net investment. And as he was doing the research, uh, he was uh, discovering that there were some, you know, if you were willing to take a little more risk as the landlord, then you might get some better returns. So in this case, the end he gave up was the structure. So anything that happened to the building, he would be responsible. Responsible, but the tenant was responsible for utilities and tax increases and all those maintenance and repairs and those kind of things, but not structurally to the building. So anything catastrophic that would happen, and he, of course, had insurance. Now, what he had was not just regular insurance because of where this property was. He had hurricane insurance. And obviously, in the area of uh, Louisiana, as we know, uh, a lot of hurricanes. And so 
That's so. What could possibly go wrong? You got a leased building. You got a ten. I think it's a ten or twenty year lease with a large, large tenant who isn't going to bother you in the middle of the night. What could go wrong? Well, the first thing that went wrong was Hurricane Rita. Sixteen inches of standing water inside the building. This is a problem. He lives in California. The property's in Louisiana. He gets. A property manager, long distance, that comes back and says, hey, it's about $60,000 worth of damage. Now, that one little end that you don't have means you are responsible for it. So rather than just take the property manager's uh, contractor's word for it, he did a very interesting thing. He got on a plane, and he flew there, and he personally spent two weeks there and was able to get all of the work done for about $15,000 instead of 60000 $60, So he saved a considerable amount of money to do it. Then another interesting thing happened. He got the building back up. Everything was fine. It was great. And then Hurricane Ike showed up a year later. And uh, Hurricane Ike has uh, 33 inches of standing water in his recently renovated building. And uh, he goes through the uh, whole process again. This time, he decides he's going to make a claim on the insurance. You know, the whole thing about insurance, you don't want to make a claim unless you have to because of your lost history report and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, decides he's going to and he discovers that, oh, yes, he has hurricane insurance. But guess what he doesn't have? Flood insurance. Flood Flood insurance. insurance, Two different things. So he goes back once again and does the – now he's got a great team in place at least, right? He's got all the same guys. We're getting the team back together. And they go and they they get it together. So here's – his uh, uh, solution was to personally go and fix it. And uh, now his new solution is to buy flood insurance. And so the lessons are, first of all – Hurricane insurance is not the same as flood insurance. Make sure you read your insurance policies and understand their coverage. And at the very least, have your insurance broker do that for you so you know. But you should take it upon yourself to read that. If you have trouble sleeping at night, read your insurance policies. And then his takeaway, that extra in is worth it. Buy triple net buildings where you're not going to get those calls and have to make those trips. So there's our uh, our final Halloween horror story. Now, uh, Russ, you also had a great uh, presentation. We're not going to go through the ins and outs of it, but some some definite uh, things that I think that would be good for you to share. Well, yeah, I mean, what we really did is we reflected back at this time last year, and in October of 2007, we were about two, three months into the mortgage meltdown, and we thought that that was the big Halloween horror story uh, of 2007. I don't think anybody expected to be still talking about that story 12 months later. Here we are, you know, in October of 2008, and it's arguably the biggest economic story that we've had in our lifetimes and all of the ramifications of that. And so I wanted to try to put some of that in perspective. And so I went and looked back at the Dow Jones Industrial Averages. Uh, I would have loved to have done this with real estate, but it's just difficult to get that kind of data. Right. But it gives you an idea uh, in terms of the mindset of what was going on. So the Dow's worst years, I found that the Dow's top 10 worst years were um, anywhere from uh, the number 10 was down 21%, 21.71% for the year, to the number one worst year was 52.67% in a single year. That was 1931, where the Dow closed at the end of 1931 at 77.9. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's not how much it dropped. That's what it closed at. That was the whole thing. I wish it, I had bought a bunch of Dow stocks back then. And it then. had dropped. So then I went and I said, well, gee, that's kind of interesting. When were the best years? And so I looked back and said, well, I found out that the best years 
the the number one year or the the the, the top ten the number ten best year was thirty three point nine six nearly thirty four percent plus and the number one year was nearly eighty two percent plus and then I said well I wonder if there's any relationship between the worst year and the best year and sure enough I found out that the number one best year uh, I'm sorry the number nine best year was nineteen oh five and nineteen oh five was uh, just two years after the eighth worst year in 1903. Pretty interesting. 1975 was the eighth best year with a plus of 38%, but that came after 1974, which was the seventh worst year, which was a negative of 27%. And so I could go through this whole thing, but the point is, is that one, two, three, four, five, six, six of the top 10 best years directly followed one of the worst years. Wow. And so it, it seems so are like... So you saying what comes up must go down? <laughs> well, and what goes down may go back up again. The point is, is that if the fundamentals are there, and of course, you know, you look back on the United States and its economy, you've got people, you've got natural resources, you've got uh, all the things that you would need to have a successful enterprise, then it seems reasonable that the stock market, which is the valuation of those various enterprises, is got fundamentals underneath it. And so whatever's going on are, are, are fluctuations. So if you can recognize that when something's really bad, if the fundamentals are in place and you buy, the, there's a good possibility that you're going to be an owner when it goes up. Well, and the, really the lesson in Halloween Horror Stories is that lots can go wrong. It isn't about what goes wrong. It's about what you do with it, how you react. If you're in for the long run, you're going to make different decisions, and you are constantly reevaluating. The other thing is you can learn from other people's mistakes and other people's challenges. This is a tough time, right? It's not an uh, easy time to be an investor, whether you're in the stock market or, or the real estate market. Just for fun, uh, we did some uh, some math, and maybe you've seen this around the Internet, but I updated it for, uh, for this year. <laughs> if you had started uh, a year ago, today with a thousand dollars of freddie mac stock you'd have nineteen dollars and 28 cents left if you had bet, invested that thousand dollars into fannie mae you'd have sixteen dollars and 94 cents left if you bought aig you'd have 41 dollars if you bought lehman brothers you'd have less than two dollars now if you'd taken that same thousand dollars and bought beer <laughs> and recycled the cans you'd have 214 dollars well, there you go <laughs> so our halloween advice is the best investment strategy today drink heavily and recycle so uh, there you go. We call that the 401 keg. Hey, next week, uh, next week on our program, we're going to be talking about top trends for real estate investors today amidst all this doom and gloom. What can you do? It's going to be an awesome show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Chapin, our engineer, and executive producer, Matthew Pierce. See you next week on the Real Estate Guys radio program. This airing of The Real Estate Guys was brought to you in part by our sponsors. Corporate Direct. Get the edge in business and wealth building with asset protection, privacy, and tax savings. Call Rich Dad Advisor Garrett Sutton at 800-600-1760. Global Property Network. Have Goldfinger Luke Chadwick help you find properties from around the world. Call GPN at 877-411-4GPN. Equity Happens Institute. The Equity Happens Institute is dedicated to providing real estate investment education for effective action. To find out more about the Equity Happens Institute, call 866-900-4232. You can find out about these and our other valued sponsors on our sponsor page at realestateguysradio.com. 
And to learn how you can sponsor the program, call Matthew Pierce at 510-521-5100. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on The Real Estate Guys. Hi, this is Robert Helms. As a real estate investor, you know you need to be concerned about asset protection. When an investor asks me about the litigation explosion in America and what they can do to better protect their real estate assets, I like to refer them to Corporate Direct. Equity happens, but it can be limited without solid asset protection in place. And Corporate Direct protects your assets. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by Garrett Sutton. He's an attorney, best-selling author, and one of Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Advisors. Garrett and his staff are knowledgeable, helpful, and surprisingly affordable. And I know, I've used Corporate Direct and have been exceedingly satisfied with their service. They're on the web at CorporateDirect.com, or you can call them at 1-800-600-1760. That's CorporateDirect.com, or 1-800-600-1760. You know you need asset protection for your real estate, so visit CorporateDirect.com, or 1-800-600-1760. Find them on the resource page at RealEstateGuysRadio.com. That's CorporateDirect.com.